So today I'm going to speak a little bit into that. In um, Every year I like to do a solid teaching around money. Now's your chance. I'll close my eyes. If you want to go, you can go. That's fine. The option's there. I get it. It's, it's, it's tough for me to preach it, and I know it's tough for, me to, for you to hear it. Um, but I feel like I would be doing our church a disservice if I didn't teach on it. Like, it's one of the things that Jesus talked about most. And, and to be honest, over COVID, we've really stripped back the whole tithes and offering every week, hammering it thing. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't believe in it. It just means I don't want to be flogging us with that every single week. I'd rather focus on Jesus and do communion than about us just giving money all the time. But at the same time, too, we need to have a healthy framework biblically around what uh, it means to give as a Christian and part of God's kingdom. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to um, unpack, uh, I put a lot of time into this message and um, I think it's going to be helpful. So money matters. And uh, so, yeah, so if you're here for the first time, you've chosen a great day to come to church. Um, <laughs> We don't talk like this every week, just so you know, um, but like I said, this is a major area in all of our lives, and I think it's important as followers of Christ that we get this area right in order to honour God and glorify Him with what He's entrusted to us. So, this is the devil. This is what this is. This is straight up, this is the devil. Um, uh, so, we're just not going to stand for that. Here we go. Got it. It's all good. Amen. <laughs> Jesus rules. He's in control. Thank you. You're welcome. We've had some technical issues this morning, just full disclosure. Big shout out to Shaden Loon, who's done an incredible job. Um, we had a, a technology tantrum this morning, and um, it hasn't been playing nice, but um, you've managed to rein it in, Shaden, and do a great, great job. Okay, money matters. First point I want to make, I want to take a macro view of money, right, and how we do this. Macro, big picture view. I'm not just going to talk about the dollars and cents in our pocket and what we should do about it. I might touch on that, but let's do big, let's go right back. Let's just strip it all the way back and look at it from, you know, 20,000 feet. First thing I want to say, my first point is God is supreme. He's the head honcho. He's the top dog. He's in control. He's, I hate this thing, but he's the big man upstairs. Like, God is supreme. Newsflash, you're not. Neither am I. No one is. God is ultimately supreme. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Doesn't get much bigger than that. The beginning, the end, he's the Almighty. Colossians 1, 15 to 17, talking about Jesus. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is supreme. We have to get our, our finite minds around that because freedom comes from realizing that God is in control, therefore we don't have to be. We can hold things with more open hands than getting exhausted from having clenched fists holding on to the control of our life as if we have got the ultimate power to control every circumstance ever. We don't, but we can trust in Him because He is good and He is supreme. When it comes to our lives, 
We, we can't be deceived. God will not be mocked. For as a man sows, so shall he reap. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't think that you've cracked some magic code and you've, you've avoided the, the consequence of doing things different to God's order and God's plan. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. As a man sows, so shall he reap. Why? Because God is supreme. He sets the order of the universe in place and those that follow the created order of the kingdom of God will have the blessing upon it. And if we think we've got a cheat code and we can step around that, or, uh, there will come a time where we will reap what we sow. Do not be deceived. God, the supreme of all things, is in ultimate control. So when it comes to finances, let me ask you this question. Which economic system do you view finances through? God's or the world's? Now, whether you earn 10000 a year or $110,000 a year, we all earn money in various degrees. But which economic system do you filter your decision-making around money through? How the world says it works? Through the desire for more and more and investment and this and that? Or through God's kingdom and how God says the economy should work? He's supreme. That's my first point. Second point. Two. That's one. Two. God gives life. God is supreme. God gives life. 1 Timothy 6.13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. God who is supreme gives life to all things. John puts it this way. John 1.3-4. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The only reason you're here today, and I'm here today, and we have what we have, is because of him. Because he is supreme, and he is the giver of life. All things come from him. Yeah, no, but I, I've made my fortune. I've worked really hard. I've built up this empire. No, no, you didn't. God gave that to you. No, no, I worked hard, mate. You don't understand. No, no, mate, I do. God gave you the ability, the intellect, and the, 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 the work ethic to be able to amass that, but you didn't do it in of yourself because you didn't wake up one day and go, hmm, I'm going to be born. God predestined you to be on this earth and gave you a unique skill set and ability to do what he's called you to do. Without his initiative, you wouldn't even be here. So everything we have in life, is initiated by God's kindness and love towards us because he is the giver of life, because he is supreme. Thank you. Everything we have has been given to us by God, everything. Romans 11.36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. You're getting the point. I'm jumping around the Bible to prove the point that this, not my opinion, like at the end of this, this message today, you're not going to take this up with me if you don't like it. You're going to be forced to go back to the Bible and nut it out with God. Everything we have. Psalm 24 verse 1. Really simple. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in it. The earth is the Lord's. When we realize that everything we have is from God, this helps us embrace humility. 
to realize that, you know what, it's not about me. I'm humbled to realize that what I have is a beautiful gift from God, whether it be small, medium, or large. It's, it's really irrelevant. It's all a gift from God. And so I'm thankful for that, and I'm humble for that. And when I read James 4, verse 6, it says that God embraces the humble. He pours his grace out to the humble, but he resists the proud. The proud are those that think, I've got life sorted out. I don't need God. I, don't, I can do this thing by myself. No, no, no. God is the giver of life and all things. And when we're humble to realize that, then God pours out his grace upon us more and more. So God is supreme. God gives life. Point three, life is stewardship. Want to know what the meaning of life is? Stewardship. God's given it all to you because he's supreme. Our responsibility in this thing we have called life is to steward it well. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We've all been given a gift, whether small, medium or large. We use that gift of our life and everything that encompasses our life as followers of Christ to, to um, serve one another. And that is showing that we are good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, let's stop there. We read this and we go, that's not me. I'm not rich. That's Bill Gates. That's Elon Musk. That's Gina Reinhardt. That's some of these guys, the multi-billionaires. That's not, that, I can skip this because I'm not rich. Do you have running water? Did you drive here today? Will you go home and have a hot meal tonight? We have a nice, comfy, warm bed to snuggle into at the end of the day. Then we're rich. In this present age, according to the standards of this world, if we have any of those things, we would be considered rich. So this absolutely is talking to us. As for the rich in this present age, all of us here, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, eternity, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amassing wealth is not truly life. I said this last week, I'm not sure that God really cares too much if we're poor or rich. God cares more about how generous we are. True life is when we realize that God is supreme, he's the giver of life, and I'm a steward of this life he's given me, and I want to use this life to serve others and be kind and generous to them, because that, biblically, is true life. That's real living. That's real living. I think about Matthew 25, the, the parable of the sower, and we know this story, it's an old story. Um, there's, there's three um, servants, uh, one was given five talents, one given three, one given one. And uh, the, the one with the five and the three, they multiplied theirs, they doubled it. Uh, and the one with the one talent did nothing with it, he just buried it and held it, held back because he was afraid. And, and then the, the, the master comes back and, and says, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? What did you do with what I, I gave you to steward? And the one with the one he says, oh, I, I, 
I was afraid that I would lose it. So I just, I just, I just buried it. I just kept it. So, but here it is. I've still got it. I've still got it. It's untouched. It's fine. Here it is. And you know the master's response? You wicked and slothful servant. Holy heck sauce. That's massive. You wicked. Like he didn't lose it. He gave it in the same condition he was given, entrusted to it in the first place. But he was still called wicked and slothful servant. But then the other two, with the five and the three, that doubled theirs and, and multiplied theirs, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now the thing is that I hear Christians say all the time, I just, I look forward to glory, I look forward to when heaven's gates open and I hear that wonderful phrase booming from the throne of heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, that's where we get this from, this passage. What, what does that mean, well done, good and faithful servant? What is good? Well, good is godly standards. Good is God's expectation. Good is God's way. And what is faithful? Faithful is commitment, staying the course. So essentially, well done, good and faithful, what that actually looks like and rolls out in real life is well done because you committed your life to living according to my standards, not the standards of this world. That's what that means to hear well done, good and faithful servant. To live our life under the God who is supreme, who's the giver of all life, that we steward our life in such a way that it's about serving others, blessing others, and being about God's standard of living over and above the world's standard of living. So the question for us is how well do we feel we're going with stewarding our life and our stuff for the glory of God and the good of others? Like, like literally sit in your seat and give yourself a quick little stock take in your mind. How am I going with that? Am I... Am I stewarding this life well? How do I, what lens am I looking through when I think about money and stuff and possessions in my entirety of my life? Is it about serving others or is it ultimately about serving me? What I want, what I need. It's interesting. Are we okay so far? Just a little time out midway through. We're doing okay? We're doing good? I was worried. I was worried about you guys. I was thinking, oh man, maybe they've, but you're good. Okay, this is great. Cool. Permission to go ahead then. <laughs> Point four. Stewardship is trust and obedience. God is supreme. He gives life. Life is stewardship. Stewardship is trust and obedience. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John 14.15, If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. So faith, faith is ultimately both internal and external. It's we believe. Like this, like, let's talk about salvation, right? How, how, does, how does a person get saved? How does a, a human being become a Christian? Well, Romans 10.9 says we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, right? We've, we ask for repentance of our sins and so we believe in our heart, we confess. So it's an internal, it's an external. That's how faith works. Faith is not primarily internal. I just believe, I'm trusting God. Yeah, yeah, it is a matter of the heart but it's equally a matter of the hands. What's, what's the kind of life that we are living? Does the life we live externally accurately reflect the faith we claim to believe internally because faith 
and obedience and stewardship is internal and external. So, in this context, we're talking about money. So when it comes to, to finances, in the area of trust and obedience, it starts with what we give our first and best to. Our first and best. This is what the Bible describes as the tithe. Tithe literally means a tenth or 10%. All right? So when we talk about tithe, biblically speaking, we're talking about 10%. So giving God our first and our best shows that he really is first and best in our life. Giving God our first, our best, shows that he is first and best in our life. Because we can't just have this internal, I believe that God is my saviour, I love him. It's internalised. It has to manifest externally in order for it to be complete. It's like we can't just consume without exercising. It has to be both, an internal and an external. I love Matt Chandler, one of my favourite preachers. He says this, money is an MRI to your soul. Have you been in those MRI machines where you lay down and the, the scanner just scans over you and detects your health, any perfections, how you're actually going? It can pick all that sort of stuff up. And that's what money is for our soul. Want to know the condition of your soul? Well, let, let your bank statements run over, run over your bank statements and you will see the health of your soul. Where are you spending your money? What are you giving your money to? Because that will indicate, Jesus says this way, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Simple as that. What we give our money to, our heart, affection, and attention will follow that. 100%. I, truth be told, I don't like dancing. I find it a little bit awkward. But I spend a lot of money giving it to dance studios <laughs> every week not for one but for two of them so I love dancing because dancing gets a, a large portion of my income and so I'm interested in the end of year concert I'm interested in how the solo classes I'm interested in how that group thing I'm interested in when the Estedford comes I'm in, I'm because where my treasure is, in my heart is also. I pay my basketball fees up front. They used to pay, used to pay, pay by game, like $10 a game, but um, th- it was all messed up. So then they made you pay a lump sum at the start of the year, the season, like 200 bucks for the whole season, so that you show up to games now. Because I've paid the 200 bucks. So there's, there's moments where it's like, oh, it's cold, I couldn't be bothered. No, no, I've paid 200 bucks. I'm going to be at that game. Because where my treasure is, there my heart is also because here's the thing (laughs) all right are you okay sure now after I say this promise me you're still gonna be okay Uh, and you have to know that I love you you have to know that I've devoted my life to you this church our community here's the thing all of us tithe Everyone in this room tithes. 
We all give our first and best to something. Question is, which God gets it? I told you I loved you, right? We all get given income. We all tithe. We all spend. The first and best goes out. But which God gets it? I, I, I was unknown whether to share this, but I thought I will. About 12 years ago, I, I fell into a um, bit of a theological pit and started to get really distracted by side issues and, um, and things like that. It was a bit of a dark spot. I've had to apologize to a few people over the years from being too black and white on issues. And, and one of the issues was tithing. And I found myself in this, this sort of reformed area of theology which can be quite dogmatic about things. And I ended up coming to the conclusion where I felt like tithing wasn't for today, that that was an Old Testament thing and wasn't for today. And, um, but the thing is, though, as much as I was sure that was true, basically because... I believed other guys that wrote it in books rather than researching myself in the scriptures. Um, I never stopped tithing through the whole time. Even though fundamentally and intellectually, I was like, I don't think this, this is a scriptural mandate for the New Testament believer. I still did it. Not to hedge my bets just in case I was wrong, but I, I did it not from a place of um, trust and obedience, but it is from a place of the pragmatic reality of the ministry that even though my theology wasn't lining up with, with this, I still did it because I still believed in the church higher and above my opinion of that issue and I knew that the church needed money to be able to do the mission and the vision that it was called to complete so I still gave because I believed in the local church and I believe in the local church far and above the, the my personal nuanced theologies around different sort of side issues but then as I've studied more and, and over the last five or six years I've completed my master's in theology and, and actually learned how to rightly divide the word of truth for myself, I've come to realize, you know what? I'm cool with this. The land is, I'm, I'm okay with, with the tithing thing. Um, still doing okay. Good. And with the, with the Old Testament thing, should I talk about it? No, I'm not going to talk about that. Okay, I'll talk about that. I understand that this can be agitating. And we, I, I joke to make light of the fact that some people do get uncomfortable talking about money. And so me joking about it is sort of to ease the tension, baby, just ease the tension. But the tension exists in, in some of us. I get that because money is a contentious issue. And, and I guess Jesus knew this, which is why he said, um, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You, you can't serve both God and money. And that's why I reckon some of us get agitated. It's like the first time I watched The Passion of the Christ, my initial response was anger. I sat there seething in my seat thinking, how dare you treat my Lord and my Saviour, my God, like that. I was outraged. I was agitated. I was angry. Because they were poking and prodding my God. 
And I wonder sometimes if we get agitated about money is because maybe sometimes there's a poking and prodding of our God. Maybe, it's, maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, maybe you should draw your attention to this area of discipleship. Maybe you're putting your faith too much in the world's economic system and not putting your faith enough in my economic system. Maybe you need to lean not on your own understanding but acknowledge me in all your ways and I'll direct your path. Because we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and money. But isn't tithing an Old Testament thing? Sure. The Old Testament um, is, is far more thorough in, in how it talks about tithing. It talks about it way more in the Old Testament than the New Testament. But, but that doesn't mean that Jesus did away with it as well. I think like the issue of, of adultery, right? It's like, well, that's in the Old Testament. If you slept with somebody else who wasn't your spouse, that was adultery and there was punishment for that. But Jesus turns it up to like level 100 and says, well, if you even think about it, you've done it. It's like, holy heck, what is all that about? That's crazy. So he, he intensifies certain things, but also gives us his spirit and his grace and his mercy to get through these things because he knows that the law was weakened by the flesh because we cannot fulfill it and we need the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, in Matthew 23, 23, and you might have heard this before, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Sounds delicious. <laughs> I haven't eaten breakfast yet. I'm getting hungry. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So straight off, Jesus like, you hypocrites, you scribes, you Pharisees, woe to you. You can't buy me off. You think you can buy me off? Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. As a man sows, so shall he reap, because he is supreme. The author of all life, the Alpha, the Omega, the top dog. He is the El Capitan. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You cannot buy me off. You, you cannot get your tithing so perfect down to your spices and then think you can, because you've done that, well, that excuses me from mercy. That excuses me from justice and faithfulness. Nope. You cannot buy God off. Likewise, you cannot be so full of faithfulness and mercy and, and grace and then I'm not going to tithe. But God, look what I did over here. I did all this. Therefore, I don't have to do that. Or God, I've, I tithe, therefore I have to lift my hands in mercy and faithfulness and grace. Jesus is like, you hypocrites. What, what, what the heck? He's like, you ought to have done that without neglecting that. It's not either or, it is both. This is discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. Stewardship is trust and obedience. So how obedient... Are we being with stewarding our first and our best? And does it show that God, Yahweh, is first and best in our life? Salah. Stop, pause, reflect. Point five. 
So here we go. God is supreme. God gives life. Life is stewardship. Stewardship is trust and obedience. Trust and obedience is rewarded. He's going to get the good stuff. That's good. It's going to make it more about me now, which is fantastic. But it's true. Psalm 128 verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Trust and obedience is rewarded. Luke 11:28. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. God is supreme and he is supremely good. He wants the best for you. He wants to bless you. When we obey him and live according to his ways, he will bless us. Remember, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, you are committed to following my standard of living in this life. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, hold on, time out, time out. How is it defined if we love God? How would Jesus define whether one loves him or not? Well, John 14, 15, he tells us, he's like, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. If, if you love me, put the kingdom standard above the world standard. So then, Romans 8, 20 says, and we know that for those who love God, who, are, who trust him and are obedient to him, all things work together for good. Everything. Why? Because if we go to the next screen, the last screen, is God is... Supreme. He's not going to leave us out to dry. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us. He's going to continue to bless us and look out for us, and he has our best interest at heart. And we have to trust that his ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. His standard is better. I've said this before, and I'll close on this. Um, each January for the last four years, I, um, I do a thing called binge B-I-N-J. It's pretty clever. Bible in January. And so over the, the 31 days of January, I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> Straight through. I know you're impressed, and that's the only reason I tell you is to impress you. So thank you. Mission accomplished. And now my reward is no longer in heaven and here on this earth. Dang it. Um, and I love it. It's just a great practice to sort of just kickstart my, my study, my mind, my heart in a brand new year and just... just tr- plow right through the Bible, Genesis through to Revelation. And, and it's definitely not devotional. There's not a lot of soap happening, scripture observation, application prayer. It's really, you know, it's just like I'm just going to get through it. But the idea is just to get a, a snapshot of the big pictures, the big themes over scripture. Um, and, and, and the guy that introduced me to it sort of describes it as, you know, looking at the tree as a whole, whereas our, our beautiful daily devotional time, which is awesome, is like studying the leaf on the tree. But doing something like this is like, let's have a look at the tree in all its majesty and see the big picture. And so one of the big picture things I've seen is there's a bunch of themes that I see reoccurring as I just plow through the Bible in a month. Um, and really simple, the, the first thing that ever stood out to me when I did this was when God's people trusted and obeyed him it went well for them and i observed that when god's people did not trust and obey him it did not go well for them it was really that simple and that theme occurred over and over and over again 
We're God's people. Trust and obey Him. It goes well. When they don't, not so much. Why? Because God is supreme. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. As a man sows, as a man sees his life as stewardship and lives according to the standard that God would have for him or her, so shall he reap. So that there is just a snapshot of the theology of generosity and giving through my study of scriptures to educate, inform us as a church, why we do what we do. And from time to time, we'll do little top-up messages to remind us, but that, for me, every year I want to do one robust teaching on giving and finances so that we don't get too caught up in thinking through the world's way of doing things over and above God's way of doing things. And so how this works for us as a church, like I said, it starts with the first and best, starts with our tithe. We do that. Um, And then for us, next week is about vision builders. It's that, that above and beyond. It's, like, it's like getting out and doing big picture things and, and helping our local community. And so we, we do that. And, um, and it, yes, it does have that tax deductibility thing on it, which is great. And a lot of people's businesses love that sort of thing because it's really helpful. But let me just say this so it's really clear. And I say this with love. Please, please don't tithe to vision builders so you get a kickback of tax deductibility. Because that's, that's not the spirit of it. And don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. You can't just get a little loophole. It's like, no, no. Let's, let's make the first and best what it is. Obedience and trust. And let's, let's make this the over and above thankfulness, stewardship, generous, serving one another, loving one another.